What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. Hi, everyone. It's Kira and Dina here at Raising Adults. And we have a pretty big topic today. So kind of like when we chatted about Santa... Easter Bunny. This might be one where you'd want to make sure younger children are not nearby. And so we'll give you the chance to remove them if you want while we give this disclaimer. We're going to be talking today about how we had the talk with our children and just some of the components of that, how we did it, how it maybe looked the same, how it looked different, even some fun stories about how it looked for us growing up which I guarantee you will enjoy. (laughs) But we want to be also really clear that we're not going to go into the political side of this conversation. And that's on purpose. It's because this is a parenting podcast. So while we might have different philosophies, the goal of the podcast isn't for us to talk about those. It's for for us to talk about how did we navigate this as parents? And we just wanted to be really clear about that. Yeah, I think that there's going to be some topics i think we can't we can't talk about anything to do with parenting um without acknowledging that there's lots of different views out there sure it's one of the best things about this podcast i think is that you and i have different views but dina and i both agree that there's going to be a couple topics where we could just really spiral pretty quickly away from being a parenting podcast and turning it into more of a political or philosophical debate and we're just not interested in that so it's really important today that we stay on the topic of Uh, sex itself and how we had that conversation um, and what we feel is important to impart to kids and stay away from all the other stuff Mm -hmm. that we could slide into. Yeah. And I love that this is also letting you, our listeners, know we're not going to shy away from these topics where we might have a larger disparity. It's just that this is very intentional about keeping the goal the goal. And this is about parenting. So we're going to keep it about that. Yeah. We don't want the podcast to become all about the disparity. We like that the disparity is there, but there are some topics where it could just so easily become about the disparity itself. For sure. And that's not what we're about. So it's great that it exists because I love that you all get to hear us have these conversations and that we're still kind. This is my favorite part about being friends with you. We get to just sometimes disagree, but we're still friends at the end. So with that being said, we're going to dive in and talk a little bit about how this looked. But as always, we want to start with our why. So Kira, take it away. Let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Um, So, okay, my why. I had a couple of whys, as they usually do, and I'm going to probably rabbit trail all over them. But um, So I think first and foremost, this was an area where my parents did a wonderful job. Um, Sex was a conversation in our home that was open. Um, I felt like I got a really healthy perspective on sex growing up. It was never something I felt was shameful or dirty. Um, I always felt like I could ask questions. um, And I loved that. And I think that just set me up for success as an adult and as a sexual person. Um, So I wanted to make sure I was doing that for my kids as well. But I also think that it was important to me that my kids take that even further into understanding their bodies, their body parts, and feeling kind of empowered about that. Um, I know that we're going to do an episode talking about consent and dating, and I think that this conversation is 
in some ways can be a setup for that. And, you know, how do you how do you understand your body, respect your body, um, and therefore respect yourself? So I think that talking to kids about sex and, and framing sex in a realistic way um, and in a way that's going to hopefully guide them to be in healthy sexual relationship or relationships, um, I think is really important. Yeah, my why had a lot to do with what I did for a living, interestingly. And because I was a birth worker, my kids knew that sometimes I would gently shake them and be like, mom's headed to a birth. And they got to the point where they would ask, how far dilated is she? You know, half asleep. <laughs> and so they were already kind of exposed to that end of it. And so it was a really natural, it just dovetailed really well that we, from the time they were very small, were talking about what leads to somebody needing to go to a birth, right? So we talked about it early and often, and I was glad that we did. And I think my job was a big part of that, more than my upbringing, honestly. It was more just, I don't want them to be confused about what I do. And so we're going to talk about how this all happens. Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, I wasn't an attending doula, but I was I was an am a childbirth educator. And so my kids had seen birth videos since they were like 18 months old. I was like, you want to <laughs> see a beautiful birth video I just found online? You know, so they were completely aware of, of birth, but they had no questions. I kept waiting for them to say, now, how does that baby get in there? And they never did. They just oh, sort of took it for granted. Like, oh, mommy's going to teach the mommies with babies in their tummies, you know, and Never really had any questions to wow. the point where I thought I was going to have to force this conversation. <laughs> Luckily, I did not. It did end up happening, at least with one of them. It happened really organically. And that then forced us to then have the conversation with, with the, the other, other one because it was like, okay, here we are. Um, but yeah, they, they, just had, they just had no questions. That is so interesting. And I love that you mentioned the birth videos because that was the same in our house because I taught the birth classes in my home. So we would have these expectant couples come over. And on week three of my childbirth series, we watched a birth video. And actually, it was the birth of a dear friend of mine. So what was great is it was the kid's friend being born. And so they just loved that. They were like, oh, can we watch Josiah's birth again? Oh, <laughs> so from, from a very young age, that was just not gross or scary. It was just this great thing. And how fun is that? Yeah. Watch the baby come out. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, and I know you and I have the same view on birth, even though I did this very specific type of birth class. Um, you know, most of us who work in the birth world see birth as beautiful. Yes. Um, and see what it can be. I actually just got chills when I said that. Like, it, we see what it can be. And so we want to impart to our children a different view than there has been that birth is this awful, terrible, worst thing that's gonna, ever going to happen to you. You just got to get through it. Um, and especially for Rhiannon, I always wanted to send this message that birth is beautiful. It's natural. Your body isn't your body so freaking amazing because it is. It's so amazing. Look um, what it can do. Look what it can do. And it like grows a human. And then the human that comes out of, I mean, it's just incredible, right? It's just incredible. So I always wanted to send that message. And I think that was how I wanted them to view sex too. I mean, sex is awesome, right? If it If it's in a situation where you're safe, where you feel loved or cared for, that doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're in love or in a romantic relationship. But I think feeling safe and feeling intimate and close with someone, I mean, it's amazing. So I wanted them to see it with that same lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does make a big difference. And of course, in our family, that same wonder 
was so great for me to help them cultivate that about God because right. it was his idea. Right. So in our totally. house, we talked about, like, this is a great thing God did. So he thought of it. It was his idea. So we don't think it's gross or dirty. We definitely think there's a context for it. But I loved that from a young age, they saw birth as really fun and beautiful. And so then we were able to have the talk about our bodies and sex also that way and not have it be, but this part over here is, oh, that's yucky or whatever. Yeah, God was super ashamed that he made yeah, that thing a bad there. idea. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to be really clear that all of it's great. And so I think their exposure to that with mom being a doula was such a great open door. Yeah. Okay. So I know that we each had something though in our uh. childhoods that our parents did wrong. <laughs> this, is, so, this is fair. <laughs> so do you want to go first? Yes. Okay. And this actually goes with my first tip for our listeners. When you have these conversations, and what, even if it's before you have the conversation about actual intercourse and how all that happens, how people make a baby, when you're just talking about the parts, I recommend calling them what they are because it only takes one unfortunate play date when your child meets, you know, someone named Willie, and that's what you've <laughs> been calling the penis, so you're going to have a problem. But my parents, bless their hearts, they only had girls. And I think, I don't know, they just didn't want to go toward vagina for whatever reason. Some people don't. And they called our girl parts a Jojo. So just imagine my trauma the first time we're at the Quickie Mart and I see chicken and jojos advertised <laughs> it did not go well for me <laughs> my gosh i wish i had been there yeah <sighs> so it really became important to me we're called the things what they are it's a penis uh -huh. and a vagina we're not confusing not it with a food item <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <sighs> well so i completely agree with you and we did the same we used proper names for everything sometimes we'd say girl parts and boy parts mm -hmm. um but for the most part your penis is your penis your vagina is your vagina but tell us can this go too far this can go too far <laughs> and let me tell you why listeners <laughs> so my parents it, my parents you have to understand my parents were pretty they weren't hippies or anything but they were pretty hippie for their time mm -hmm. you know they were talking to their seven-year-old about sex at a time where actually People weren't in my community. Okay. Um, they were asking if there were guns at play dates. You know, they were just, they were just, they were marching to the, their own little drum, which it turned out to be great. They were actually ahead of their time. But they also encouraged that, you know, my, uh, my girl parts were my genitals. Not really my word of choice, but okay. okay. Um, and they also really wanted me to use correct phrasing for bodily fluids. So I urinated. And I had bowel movements. Okay. And so in kindergarten, I distinctly remember raising my hand and saying, excuse me, I need to have a bowel movement. Oh. <laughs> and I will never forget the look on this teacher's face because she just about died. So I would say let's call a penis a penis and a vajayjay a vagina, but let's maybe call it pee and poop. Like, mm -hmm. let's just do that. Maybe. Let's save our children yeah. the humiliation. <laughs> the other thing my parents got terribly, terribly wrong <laughs> So when I was seven, I had already heard about sex. I think I learned about it when I was three. I don't even remember it. Oh, I feel so like super I, young. Yeah, I feel like I always knew the basics. Okay. Um, but when I was seven, we went to a bookstore. I went to a bookstore with my dad, and I stumbled into the adult section, and I found some book that was very graphic um, and showed all the things. And my dad, I remember he rounded the corner and – 
like at the time I did not appreciate that he was horrified. But when I look back on this event, I'm like, oh, he was horrified. Oh, <laughs> I see you found a book. So he like carefully tucked up the book and put it away. <laughs> and we got out to the car and, and he said, um, do you have any questions? And shockingly, Dina, this is going to surprise you. I had a few. You had some questions? <laughs> yes. No way. I have been me forever. So I asked about an hour's worth of questions. I mean, you name it, I asked it. I was very curious, particularly about oral sex. I really didn't get it. I really was like, I just don't understand that at all. Um, and so he was great. He was so open. He answered all my questions. He made me feel like it was all okay to be asking. I felt empowered. I felt amazing. And the next day I went to school and I told all my friends this new information. And because we lived in Florida at that time, again, at a time when families weren't really having these conversations mm-hmm. in this way at such a young age, um, the families of my friends went ballistic and Aww. basically said I couldn't play with them anymore. And that was really that sad. That is sad. Yeah. Um, so I would say open dialogue, lots of questions. That's sort of what we've done in our home is, you know, the questions are always okay. You can ask me anything. Nothing's embarrassing or off the table. Um, but then when we ended up having the the really big talk, and I think yeah, I think you've even said this, and, and I would agree that this is a series of talks, right? For sure. Not but, a one-time event. No, but the, the biggest one that we had um, was with one of the one of the twins. We were in the car, and I think that actually the fact that we couldn't um, look at each other in the eye made it much more comfortable mm-hmm. for that twin to keep asking questions. Um, and so all this information poured out, and it was suddenly like, okay, now, now we have to got to talk to the other one. The other one needs to know. But one of the things we said to them was, you know, every family talks about this at a different time. You know, you guys had a lot of questions. It's kind of big information. Um, it's not bad or yucky or anything like that. But because every family talks about it at a different time, we want to make sure that every family has the opportunity to have that conversation themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's not something you talk about at school or with your friends. You can always ask us. You can always talk to us. But right now, because we just don't know who's had that conversation and who hasn't, um, we just don't want to be the ones to be giving that information for the first time. So we just sort of encouraged basically what my parents, bless them, probably didn't even think to do. Um, You know, they're like, well, why would she go and tell all her friends? Because it's fascinating. So I think we just took it that one step further and and made made it clear that this this wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't private or shameful. It was just something that times out differently for every family. Couple things I loved there. One, the car. When we talk about making time for important talks, I mention the car a lot because I have teenagers, but I would agree that especially when you get into this stickier stuff and they're older, the fact that you don't have to make this intense eye contact and all of that, I think can really help sometimes bridge a topic that would maybe be a little bit more sticky otherwise. So that's a great point. And I would say for sure, if you have older people, car rides, just capitalize on them. They're a great thing. But also that you tacked on the end that we don't go share. It was very similar with the Santa conversation, right? So Mm -hmm. there's going to be a time and a place where you have to remind your kids that families deserve to have the first crack at that conversation. And so it's not for them to go and and open a hole. Mm. (laughs) I don't even know. Pandora's box. A can of worms. Insert cliche here. Yes. But yes, that's really, really key. So after tip number one, which is call things what they are, but maybe let it be okay to not 
have every bodily function, have its, or teach your child to say, may I please use the restroom? Yeah. Then you can still call it the real so thing at simple. home, right? It's, it's come, easy. Come on, mom and dad. Another just suggestion I would have that's a practical thing you can kind of grab onto and actually use is make sure to answer the question being asked. I think sometimes parents hear something like, where did I come from? And assume, oh, no, now we're having the sex conversation and the mommy and the daddy, and they just get way ahead of themselves. And this actually happened to a friend of mine. She has a daughter who's adopted, and that daughter asked her, where did I come from? And she thought, oh, here we go, but I'm going to ask enough questions to find out what's really being asked. So again, just like you said, Kira, I mean, the questioning process is huge here to get to the root of it. And it turned out her daughter just wanted to know what hospital she'd been born at. So I think it's really key to find out what's actually being asked and only answer that so that you don't inadvertently give too much too soon. Which goes into my next suggestion, and that is making sure it's really age appropriate. And don't be afraid to use resources to help you. I actually went through a book series with my children so that it wasn't all on me to decide how to frame it for where their development was. And so we started with the first book that was like for three to five-year-olds, and then there was one for five to eight, and so on. So don't shy away from grabbing onto some tools. Get books. Get audio. Get people around you who might know more than you or could be helpful to make sure it matches your child's frame. And then that way you're giving only the information they really need. And it's amazing sometimes how little they'll actually be satisfied with. And you go, oh, okay, we're done with that for now. And then the next time you can expand on it a little bit more as they're ready for that and as it's age appropriate. But I think those are kind of two things. They go together, but they're both really important answer what's actually being asked and make sure it's age appropriate. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure what's being asked, so if you do get the where do I come from, uh -huh. some things you can say, I mean, in general, I use this a lot with anything where I'm like either trying to buy myself some time, <laughs> which, or, we've all which we that. all need to do, right? Um, especially me because I'm a blurter. Like I just say what's on my mind. So I've, I've had to learn the skill of like sometimes it's better if I don't just say what I think right Gives away. Gives you a chance to rein it in. Uh -huh. So either buying yourself some time or trying to really understand what they're asking, you can say things like, well, why do you ask? That's mm. a great one because sometimes they might say, oh, well, I was just trying to picture the hospital room, blah, blah, blah. And there's your, there's you got your, your answer. Clue. Yeah. yeah. So why do you ask or tell me more about that? Or I'm curious, I'm curious to know more about your question. Can you ask it in a different way? I've done mm -hmm. that before too. Um, so those are all some, some well, things Well, and even you can do. another one I've heard you say, which I love, is asking, what do you think? Because you also get a little chance there to get a window into what they already know and whether that information is correct or whether you might need to help correct some misperceptions. So that's another good one that you can add to the stack of questions. Yeah. And my other tip would be um, know what you're going to say about this because it is a really important conversation. Mm. And it will happen when you least expect it. Um, the Probably the biggest, hardest questions will come up at the most inopportune time, maybe publicly at the grocery store yes, or in a know, restaurant. In a restaurant or just, you know, somewhere inconvenient. And so it is important that you have given thought to what you're going to say about this and how you want to express it and describe it um, before you think you need it. So, you know, by the time they're three, really, you should have a sense of what you're going to say. And then the last thing I would say is, I think for me, I don't think every family has had this, but maybe because of the birth work and all of that, um, it was very easy for me to get quite technical about the mm. whole thing. Um, and I think it's also important that we are communicating to our kids that sex is not always had to make a baby. 
because I think sometimes they get that idea in their head. I know that was a misconception that when we had this big talk that my twin came away with that I oh, had to correct later. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I have – it's kind of interesting. I'll digress for just a second. But I ha- um, one of my twins claims that they do not want to get married because – and I've said I don't care if you get married or not. But um, they've said they don't want to get married because – if you get married, you have sex, and sex makes a baby, and we've had a lot of miscarriage in our, not in our family, but in our community, mm-hmm. and that means that a baby has died, and so they don't want to get married because they're worried their baby might die. Oh. Like, that kind of well, weird. Well, that's a I long mean, trail they cray, took it right? down. Yeah. yeah. And so it was it was when that started happening that I realized, I was like, huh, did I ever in that conversation actually explain that sex is fun and it feels good and that people do it as a way of expressing love and connection and all these other things and that and that more often than not these days people are having sex not to make a baby right, right. that that's actually not the main reason anymore that mm-hmm. that we do it and probably was never the main reason that we do it um <laughs> and to also then be able to share you know for our family I would assume with some faith paradigms, this isn't the case, but for our family, like, hey, there are actually ways that you could make sure you don't have a baby and this, that, and the other to just take that pressure off of mm-hmm. like sex equals baby equals baby dying. I mean, my goodness, like what yeah. a, what a combo what a trail. Path, right? Yeah. So I think it's also important that yes, we are technical and that we're explaining the amazing logistics of it all. Um, but that also it's really clear that it's awesome and fun mm-hmm. and beautiful and, and, and so important that it is also expressed that it's with someone that you feel safe with. I feel like this going to kind of dovetail to our consent episode, but no matter how you view sex, should it be in marriage, should it not, whatever, at the end of the day, sex should always be with someone who's going to keep you safe, keep your body safe. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and keep your heart safe, whatever that means. So we've definitely talked about that too. Yeah. And, it, and it's great that you listened to where that trail went because, wow, they took it all the way down to an end you might not have predicted. And I think the same thing can happen even with attempts to be careful with terminology or what have you. We had, I mean, and sometimes it's funny and that's okay too, to let this be a thing that you can laugh about. Because I know with Sienna, some versions of the Bible actually will call semen like seed. And she ended up going to her Montessori school and talking about how the mommy swallows a seed and then it grows into a baby. (laughs) And I, of course, am secretly mortified because I'm like, I'm a birth worker and she has this so (laughs) wrong. I don't know where we got the Eden. Like, did she have a piece of watermelon and just began to pontificate? (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, it can be really fun to go, hey, I heard this, which I did. Thankfully, great school community let me in on that, that she was sharing this in the Montessori classroom. And but a great opportunity to do some course correction, but also say, you know, we can we can let that be not a shameful thing. Sometimes it's funny when we get things a little bit sideways. I mean, adults get things sideways and it can be hilarious. So I just think that's important too, to not let this be so heavy. It, it's important. And I think we want to treat it carefully, but it can also be light. And so even when there's misconceptions, we don't want to have shame around that because it's already a topic that I think some people think is shrouded in shame and it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And, and we don't want to contribute to that more. Oh, absolutely. It's funny because that's actually how we started this conversation. So I'll just give our listeners a sense of like the progression of yeah. the conversation. So um, I can't remember what, what sparked it in the first place, but there was some something where we, we felt we had to explain sperm and egg. Okay. So we called it a seed, funnily enough, called it a seed. I think I stole this from my neighbor because this is what they said. <laughs> so we called it a seed and an egg. And we said, well, the the woman produces an egg and the man produces a seed and they come together. 
And they do this really incredible little dance where they form all these cells and they kind of move around and they wiggle. And then eventually that starts to grow into a baby in the mom's uterus. And, um, and that was how we left it. And then occasionally they would sort of like bring it up like, oh, yeah, the seed, it comes together with the egg. Well, how does it what does the dance look like? And we would show oh. them like, you know, see how the cells are merging. Yeah. And it's kind of like a dance and blah, blah, blah. But then the really the talk, the big one in the mm-hmm. car happened because someone finally asked, how does the seed get in there? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was bound to happen. Yes. And so that led us to the greater conversation about sex itself. Um, but I do think that's a great way to start. Just like understanding like, you know, women have these amazing little eggs. And I told Rhiannon that I was like, put your hands right here. And I had her touch like where her ovaries are. And I said, you have all these amazing eggs in there that one day, if you choose to have a baby, could turn into a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and we explained to Reese, like, you know, the, the your testicles, well, those hold your seed. You don't have them yet, but you will. Um, and, you know, so they're just those kind of like gentle ways yeah. of just helping them understand how their how their bodies work and, and all of that. And then... <laughs> Then later, when we finally talked to Rhiannon about her per- reproductive system and how that's how that's all going to go, um, which I'm curious to hear how your conversation with Sienna went, because I explained to her, you know, so the way that it works is every month you mm-hmm. create this lining in your uterus. Um, and it's it's I explained that it was blood and she got like horrified. And oh, I was no. Like, I was like, no, sweetheart. It's amazing. It's kind of like a blanket. For a baby to like mm. snuggle into and get nice and cozy and it like wraps it up so it's safe and she was like oh that's wonderful and I was like yeah and I said in every month that you don't have a baby your body's going to get rid of that blanket so it can make a fresh new blanket next time and so you will bleed a little bit and she and she said to me well does it hurt and I was like no <laughs> I just lied. I was like, it might be a little uncomfortable, but it's beautiful. It's such an amazing thing. And every month you'll know. And I just tried to, like, get it off of the – and I'm not condoning lying, but I think it's about age appropriate. I've oh, just that's... told this child that she's going to bleed. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't need to also say it's going to hurt. Right. You know, maybe I can say it's going to be uncomfortable, but it'll be so worth it and focus on the positive. So I think that's part of the age appropriate stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. You have to be really – cautious with that. And I think even phrasing comes with age because when Scott and I got married, of course, we had kids who were all old enough to like know what was going on. And as they saw it moving toward that, of course, we got questions and we wanted to be a family right out of the gate that our blended family is a safe place for questions. But the phrasing was not always accurate. And our oldest actually did ask my now husband, Scott, he said, dad, if you marry Dina, are you going to do sex to her? And to this day, we just laugh about that because he just hadn't heard the, you know, have sex as a phrase. And so it was do sex to her. And it was just so funny. But we wanted him to feel safe about asking. And Scott actually answered honestly, yes, if we get married, I will do sex to her. But it was just he was only 12. Bless his heart. Oh my gosh, I love that story. So it's OK for things to be light, too. And and let them know it's safe and ask the questions. And, of course, I want to be clear, we laughed in private, not in front of Never. him or at him. Mm-mm. But we did find it hilarious. And now he does, too, because now he's 20. And so, of course, he's, like, secretly – well, not so secretly now, but kind of mortified that he even phrased it like that or even asked, <laughs> oh, man, what was I thinking? You know, it's embarrassing, but it's pretty funny. You so just a, let those little flubs happen. You got a great speech for his wedding, though. I yeah, mean, oh, for sure. The toast. We're ready for the toast. <laughs> I love it. 
Well, listeners, if you have any questions or you have any tips that you want us to share with listeners, maybe there's been something that's been particularly helpful in your family. We always love to hear from you. We hope that our tips have been helpful today, too. Uh, You can always reach out to us, info at futurefocusedparenting.com. Dina, I think, has a good quote for us today. A closing thought for you from Tamara Krynan, and it's kind of a series of questions, but I think they're great. Young people are going to learn about sex, and our question has to be, where do we want them to learn? From the media, from their friends, or do we want them to learn from an educated, responsible adult? And we just want to encourage you, be that adult. Yes, absolutely. So you can raise some adults. I love it. I love it. Before we finish up, I don't think we talked about our attitude No, and we need to because new month, April, and we're focusing on diligence this month, which is huge. And there's a lot of ways diligence shows up. One, of course, that I think can spring easily to people's minds is schoolwork and homework. And in the attribute of the month newsletter this month, we definitely talk about some tips for that, but also other ideas for modeling diligence around your home. And how do you even talk about that as parents? And I talk a lot. I think I've said this quote on other episodes about diligence being excellence over time. And I love that because it isn't a one-time thing. And so if you're interested in taking a deeper dive into diligence and what is that really about? And how do you foster that in your family? We really encourage you to register for the attribute of the month if you haven't already. Yeah. So you can find that on futurefocusedparenting.com slash shop. Or we have this cool new thing called bit.ly. <laughs> bit.ly. It's a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's pretty cool. But you can also go to bit, B-I-T dot Lee, L-Y, slash F-F-P underscore attribute. Though, honestly, that sounds far more complicated. It than, does once you say it yeah, like that. So don't do that. So future-focused parenting. But often we'll have the link to that in our Yeah, on our media. Instagram page yeah. and our Facebook page as well. So. But definitely check that out. It's a, it's a good one. Just like Aristotle said, you know, excellence is not an act. It's a habit. And so diligence is really about teaching that to be a long-range character trait in your children. And so we think it's an important one. We're excited to look at it for the month of April. Yep. And even though it's in our shop section, it's totally free. Absolutely. So be sure to check it out. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.